If something bad happens to you, what options do you have? If you're sexually assaulted and you decide to call the cops to report a rape, will you get help? In this country, about a third of rape cases will get reported to police. Only about 5% of those reported cases will end in arrests. And just about 3% will lead to a conviction. Because of that, many victims of sexual assault don't trust the system at all. They don't bother reporting it because when they do, oftentimes, nothing happens. We're seeing that play out in real time with the NYPD's Sexual Victims Department, which the Department of Justice is currently investigating. That's because victims have been complaining for years that their cases have not been handled with care. Now, the probe will include a review of the NYPD's policies and procedures and training when it comes to how they interact with survivors and witnesses, how seriously they take their claims, and how the division collects evidence and goes about conducting investigations. Victims allege officers weren't trained to investigate their cases, neglected them, and in some instances, didn't collect evidence or even return to the crime scene. Now that is a tough reality to live with. But what if we could create a fantasy world where cases get solved, where detectives handled cases with the utmost amount of care, where perpetrators were actually brought to justice? Well... That world exists, and it's called Law & Order Special Victims Unit. On SVU, Detective Olivia Benson, played by Mariska Hargitay, rides in on her white horse, fighting tooth and nail for every victim who crosses her path. I have to protect myself. I'm going to protect you, Vicky. I promise. Olivia goes to extreme lengths to solve these cases in a way that is honestly kind of ridiculous. She is saying, I will literally stay in your house until we get this guy to make sure that you're safe. She is just like the consummate detective. That's Rachel Hampton. She co-hosts the podcast, I See Why Am I? She is what you hope you would encounter if you were to ever have to go to a police officer about something like this. Olivia is empathetic. She always sticks up for the victim no matter what. She's a workaholic, often seen taking calls at home. And even though she tries to maintain a work-life balance, most of her romantic relationships are with colleagues. And when she has a child, it's an orphaned baby boy from a case she's working on. She'll go to great lengths for her victims, and maybe sometimes go a little too far. Olivia does get a little carried away sometimes, but she always pulls it back. She's always doing it in the most good faith way possible. If SVU is a feminist fantasy, a place where victims are believed, where DNA is collected, and where the cops assigned to the case are tireless advocates, well, Olivia Benson would be their hero. Olivia Benson is a large part of the show's success, and I mean the show is a all-caps success. It's the longest-running primetime U.S. live-action series in the history of television. And its success is in no small part due to the vision of crime and policing that it promotes. And that's what this episode is about. How Law & Order SVU is a fantasy. Not just a policing fantasy, but a feminist fantasy. That is, like everything else we discuss on this show, a little bit problematic. 
From Neon Hum Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Mariah Smith, and this is Spectacle True Crime. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the reasons that compels Olivia Benson to be this tireless advocate is her own life story. She is the product of rape. Her mother was sexually assaulted and went through with the pregnancy. It's a a passion or a, a mission to make sure that other women don't go through what her mother did and what she herself has experienced wounds that are related to SVU's territory. That's Lori Olette. She's a professor of media and cultural studies at the University of Minnesota. It's kind of like this protector of women who is going to go to any length to address and to correct for problems within the system that she works. In more than one episode, Olivia Benson is attacked and a sexual assault is attempted. The show grapples with her PTSD. Olivia brings this personal experience to her work. She's not just a cop. She's their ally. She understands what they're going through. I think that that there is something about the show that presents a kind of feminist fantasy. And I think one of the most common ways is through the support that particularly the female detectives um, and especially Olivia Benson give to the female victims. I think that that recurring message is also part of the appeal of the show and that can really temper those cases where justice is not served. To really dissect the fantasy world of SVU and its hero, Olivia Benson, we thought we'd dig into a cult favorite. Season 12, Episode 3, Behave. I'm going to bring our producer, Joanna Clay, in to talk about it. So this episode features the one and only Jennifer Love Hewitt. (laughs) Yes, an incredible performance from her, by the way. Yes, and we should say... This episode came out in 2010, and so one of the first scenes in this episode is her character. Her name is Vicky, and she's on a bus. And on this scene, she is not well. She is bloody and sitting almost in the fetal position. And we find out that the reason she looks like this is she's been sexually assaulted. 
And of course, Olivia Benson and Elliot Stabler are assigned to the case. Yeah, so we first see them, the dynamic duo, at the hospital. They hear about her injuries. She was bleeding from the head because we hear she'd been hit over the head with a glass bottle. And Olivia's talking to the doctor, and this doctor is a real piece of work, I should say. I'm not sure how real this is. You don't believe her? She reeks like a wino. I'm waiting for the results on her blood alcohol. If she said that she was raped, she was raped. If she says she was raped, she was raped. So from the get-go, even with these little seeds of doubt that the doctor is planting, Olivia believes her 100%, and that is so indicative of her character on the show as this feminist hero who believes women. So on the show, they always say this, and I think it's really important, but they say there's no perfect victim. And I think this is a good example of that because... There are so many things people can say to diminish a woman's claim. She was drunk, she was wearing whatever, and in this case, the character Vicky was drunk, but that doesn't mean she wasn't assaulted. 100%. And, you know, Olivia is very dedicated to Vicky from the start in a way that seems just unrealistic. Like, I can't imagine a cop talking to me this way. For example, Vicky is going back and forth about getting a rape kit done like she doesn't know if she wants to get tested or not and olivia's so concerned that you know she yells out after her don't take a shower in case you change your mind and you know benson and her partner elliot stabler they both take it upon themselves to track down this woman and essentially find out who she is because at the hospital she gave them a fake name. Yeah, and that's like another seed of doubt, right? She has aliases. Like, should we believe this woman? But Olivia is undeterred. You cannot stop her. She has convinced this woman is a victim and she's going to help her. And so they find her. She lives in what appears to be a very nice brownstone townhouse and she's a hermit. Drapes are drawn. She's kind of peeking out from behind them, but She never goes outside, and the reason why she is so paranoid and so scared is we find out this isn't the first time that she's been raped by this man. She says over the course of her life, he's raped her four times, and so it's obviously really, really, really affected her. So they're camped out in the squad car, seemingly all day. And Stabler, who is kind of the straight man in this situation, he's the one that pushes back on Benson. He's like, you know, I got other cases I'm working on, so I gotta go. But Olivia is like, okay, that's fine. I'm staying here. Look, just give me a couple more hours, okay? I done. Maybe she'll change her mind. Maybe get back to the squad, prep for court. Uh, okay. Will you take the car mm-hmm. and go? I'll hang. One minute, she's on a stoop watching and then she's walking around the neighborhood and then eventually she walks up to vicky's place and is literally peeking in her windows trying to get her to talk to her and here's a clip vicky vicky listen to me i understand why you're scared but we're here to protect you i just i just need you to tell me what happened so i can stop him i think It's such a perfect example of this fantasy, you know, that cops will be tireless advocates for you. Olivia's saying, you know, in this moment when she's looking through the window, like, I'll move in with you. (laughs) Like, she's like saying that she will basically do anything for this victim. Yeah, and I think to our earlier point of Benson hanging around while Stabler has to go, you know, deal with another case. 
Benson, throughout the show, historically, will help a victim, even if the victim doesn't want help themselves. And that's key in spotting the difference between how actual law enforcement handle cases and handle women who come in and tell them they were sexually assaulted. So I think that that is a prime example of how far Olivia will go until she gains the trust of the victim to let them know that she will not be going anywhere and that she's there for them truly no matter what. Yeah, I mean, to your point about Benson being there for victims who truly, you know, aren't even asking for this level of support, I mean, there's so many over-the-top examples in this episode. So Olivia eventually, you know, gets Vicky to get the rape kit test done. And when it's being done, who is next to her holding her hand but Olivia Benson, the police officer assigned to her case. And I mean, that's just like something I cannot imagine seeing in the real world. I started to scream and hit me with the bottom. Vicky, I promise you, he will never hurt you again. Something I want to talk about in this episode, too, is how quickly they find the suspect in this case. They're like, here's a sketch of a white man with nice hair, and here's some lotion from a hotel we found. Totally, and after we come back from the break, post-rape kit scene, we have Stabler and Benson approaching the concierge of a hotel, and the hotel is the one that carries that bottle of lotion. So they show the concierge the sketch. She immediately identifies him as Mr. Harris. And not only that, she points, and literally the suspect is like seven feet behind them at the bar. Like, wow, it can just solve cases. (laughs) Bill, can we talk to you a minute? Sure. Guess I shouldn't have run that red light. Mm. Yeah. That bill is kind of embarrassing, but you look an awful lot like a suspect that we're after. Uh, I was just kidding about the red light. We can clear this up quickly if you don't mind coming down to our office. Sure, I'll cooperate in any way I can. And, you know, once they have Harris, they put him in a lineup and Vicky IDs him. So they're like, okay, this is 100% our person. But there's some issues. So they don't really have enough evidence to charge him with anything. He also has an alibi. And this is really when you get into almost the nitty gritty of, I want to say, circumstantial evidence or things that can be thrown away in court and the little nuances of how difficult it is to build a case around sexual assault. Right. And this is kind of the turning point in the episode where it gets truly unhinged because I think Olivia Benson is thinking, if I can't get justice for this case the way I want to, I'll figure out my own justice, you know? And in this case, it starts with some light stalking. I mean, when she pops up basically out of the bushes to scare this suspect, it's equal parts amazing and terrifying. Hey, Bill. Yeah, we talked to Rachel about this. So there's a point in the episode where there doesn't really seem anywhere else to go. They don't have any other evidence to uncover. So they turn to stalking the rapist, which means that you'll see scenes of Benson on a corner saying, are you behaving? Or someone waiting for him outside of his taxi. Or Stabler in the bathroom with him, asking him about the Knicks game. Or Ice-T handing out pictures of his the rapist's face with the word rapist under it, which he has not been prosecuted or charged with this crime yet, so it's probably some form of slander. 
So first, it's the popping up and asking if he's behaving, because that's a thing in this episode. Like, whenever he rapes Vicky, he tells her to behave. Then Stabler, literally in a urinal next to him, asking about sports. But the iced tea scene has to be my favorite, because he's just handing out flyers of the guy's face. Right? Like Rachel said, that can't be legal. <laughs> also, there's that iconic scene of Stabler raising his hand while Harris is giving a presentation at work. Harris is like a medical sales rep. We have a clip. The best of all won't break the bank. Any questions? Yeah, why'd you rape Vicky? What did you say? I asked him why he raped Vicky. And I think we should say that this is a very unique style of policing, and it does pay off, though, in the episode. Yeah, it culminates in Benson going to this rooftop event that Harris will be at. And in the scene, she brings Vicky with her. So up until this point, it's been police confronting Harris, but now the victim herself is going to confront him in front of all these people. And that's a true story. Ladies and gentlemen, can I have your attention, please? Do you see that man? Yes, him. He stalked me and raped me four times since I was 16. So they're on this rooftop, and they're obviously trying to work him up. This is one of the key tactics in Law and SVU, which is get, get the rapist mad enough that he says something he shouldn't. And so he says to her, you're all the same. And the victim of the rape is like, you said he was going to crack. And Benson is like, he did. He gave us the most important information that we needed. And it turns out that just the line of him saying, you're all the same, leads Benson to believe or know that he has multiple victims across state lines. And this is the kind of key turning point of the entire episode. And, you know, Olivia Benson looks into it and finds out that, yes, there have been attacks on dozens of other women across state lines. And she's determined to find a case that has enough evidence to bring a charge against him. And they do find out that one of Vicky's previous rape kits hadn't ever been processed, and another was lost when a precinct moved. Right, so eventually how they catch him is they find this storage locker that has all this weird stuff in it, you know, photo albums, documentation of his assaults, souvenirs, and stuff tied to Vicky is in there, so they're able to get him on that. But in the whole process of tracking down Vicky's and other potential victims' kits, she's literally, Benson is literally calling across the country, calling up police departments about their backlogs. And she's like, oh man, all these states haven't tested their rape kits. I have to go myself. And there's kind of this moral superiority on Olivia's part. Like, oh, untested rape kits are clearly a national issue, but not in my department. We're good cops. We get things done. Why did it take so long to test it? So we have thousands of kids sitting in the freezer. How bad's your backlog? We don't have one. Every kit is tested after an assault, and the results are forwarded back to us and to the DA. Throughout the history of SVU, honestly, throughout the history of all the Law & Order shows, there's a clear kind of writing that establishes the detectives that they follow and the units that they cover as superior to most other police officers. There's this understanding, even back when the show came out, that cops aren't great at solving sex crimes. So it's part of the DNA of the show to establish that these specific people, these characters, are people you can trust. I mean, 100%. It's the idealized version of the NYPD 
that we simply know does not exist. I mean, the actual SVU unit is currently under investigation, and this is the one that the show is emulating. And we should point out, this episode did get positive feedback about the way it highlighted the very real, real, real problem of untested rape kits. Right. And I think it kind of stood out because the actors who play Benson and Stabler, Hargitay and Maloney, they actually did a PSA that aired after the episode. Not testing a rape kit often represents a lost opportunity for justice. It's a pretty unhinged depiction of the lengths a police officer would go to to solve a crime. But my God, is it satisfying to watch. I mean, also, just like Jennifer Love Hewitt, chef's kiss of a performance, and that final scene when Vicky sees Harris in prison, like, oh my God. Now I'll always know where you are. Be a good boy. It is truly so satisfying to watch, which is why I guess it's one of the most successful TV shows in the history of TV, because it does present this fantasy of policing, and specifically this feminist, almost, I guess, revenge fantasy, because Benson will go to the ends of the earth for victims in her cases. But I think it's important we touch on the fact that Benson protects certain women, and that is next. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it, been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. Olivia Benson is a feminist hero to our protagonist, Vicky. Vicky, who is white, college-educated, financially secure with a good job. And that's the thing about this feminist fantasy. It's a fantasy for certain women. When it comes to victims who are people of color... I feel like they pretty rarely have Black victims, and if they do, they always have to disprove the gang assumption, or they always have to be like... This person's an upstanding accountant, but they always are like, where did she grow up? To make sure that there's no one in her past who could come and do this crime. This is something we see from the jump on SVU. In season one, episode four, Hysteria, the victim is a 19-year-old Black woman. And because of what she looks like and where she's found, assumptions are made. They saw Times Square, the Disney store, and a bonus, a dead whore. How do you know she's a prostitute? Did somebody ID the body already? After 30 years in Vice, I think I know. You get to the point where you can just smell them. The camera pans to her in the gutter. She's wearing a mini skirt and an open back top. Her skirt is hiked up. She has a bag over her head. It's been smashed in and she's covered in blood. And the cops, well, 
They're not approaching her the way we saw Benson approach Vicky. Let's just say that. Don't get your boxes in a twist. She's NHI. What's NHI? No humans involved. Means don't work too hard on this one. Why sweat it? The victim was just a useless piece of garbage. Kind of like a cop who ought to retire. Just for context, NHI is a hugely problematic policing term. Like he said, it means no humans involved, and it was used in the 1980s and 90s to describe the deaths of sex workers, drug addicts, or gang members, and is often hurled at people of color. In this episode, the victim is Tracy. Benson and Stabler go to her home, and it's on a tree-lined street of immaculate brownstones. Stabler definitely had preconceived notions of how she lived. Nice neighborhood. You think we're on the wrong track? If we're not, this girl fell pretty far. They knock on the door and her parents answer. Are you aware what your daughter does in Manhattan? Of course. She's majoring in cultural studies at Columbia, a sophomore. And she volunteers at a literacy center. The detectives spend the rest of the episode trying to piece together why a college student from a well-to-do background would get murdered in the street as an alleged sex worker. We're reassessing the prostitute angle. Why? Just because she's from a good family? Model family. She does charity work, for God's sakes. Can't say she gets from there to sell it on the street. Drugs. Not a trace. Some of the white male SVU detectives are blatantly offensive toward Tracy, using tired, misogynistic tropes that blame the victim. So, the question remains, what was Ms. Goody Two-Shoes doing wearing Rock My World pumps, not to mention the micro mini and the belly shirt? It was hot that night. That's what I'd wear if I was going clubbing. The whole episode presents the victim as a sex worker. But spoiler, she wasn't a sex worker. She was killed by a man she had a romantic tryst with. A white, wealthy man. He was never taken seriously as a suspect at the start. Instead, they want to pin it on a serial rapist. By the end of the episode, the detectives will find out that the person they thought committed the crime was innocent. But at the beginning, you'll just see them being really kind of like disdainful or like aggressive in a way that's not great. The fantasy... It's kind of a harmful fantasy, because it's promoting stereotypes that people believe. There's actual scientific evidence, literal studies, that show that people take their cues on policing from shows like Law & Order SVU. And a significant number of people who become cops cite shows like this as inspiration. They think cops like Olivia Benson are the norm that Law & Order SVU's vision of policing is real, or at least tangible. But I don't actually think this show shows us what's possible. It just shows us all the various issues that exist within this system that are sometimes overcome by, like, the quote-unquote good cop, but are usually exploited by the good cop. I don't actually want a police officer to violate someone's civil rights when they're trying to prosecute somebody who's attacked me. That does not make me feel any better. Um, But that is the kind of underlying justification for a lot of the things that Benson and Stabler do throughout the show. And that they sometimes end up getting... Uh, docked for. It's really interesting to me that the one of the primary villains of SVU specifically, which is Internal Affairs Bureau or whatever, 
basically the police who watch the police. And every single time they come on the show, they're always treated as demons, as like people who are out to get good cops who are just trying to get results. When it's like, A, the police never actually investigate themselves. So that's a fantasy in and of itself. And B, maybe if they're here to investigate you, there's a good reason for that. Next time on Spectacle. What it's like when your real life story is made into a TV show. Fictionalized characters based on your family or your friends are on billboards and posters with big name actors. Oh no, oh no, this is not what he told us was gonna happen. This is not what any of us wants. All of a sudden, this real tragedy is turned into entertainment. The nuances, the moments that were private are suddenly being fictionalized. And you're still out in the real world living your life. People think this is you. This is what happened to your person. And then when I was told it would be shown in almost 200 countries, I thought, oh God, where can I hide? Whether it's from books, articles, documentaries, or even podcasts, there's a prestige true crime pipeline. But are these dramatized depictions just highbrow versions of the 1980s made-for-TV movies? And what are the ethics of telling someone's story when they don't want it told? That's next time on Spectacle. Spectacle True Crime is a production of Neon Hum Media and Sony Music Entertainment. It's hosted by yours truly. Our showrunner is Joanna Clay. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Liz Sanchez is our associate producer. Sound design by Hans Dale Shee. Original music by Asha Ivanovich. Additional cues from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Our fact checker is Stephen Crichton. Special thanks to Carla Green, Shara Morris, and Catherine St. Louis. I'm Mariah Smith. See you next week.